I'd like to welcome everybody to um, the Hawaii Association of the Blind's 55th State Annual Convention. And yes, this is our second year doing this virtually. So hopefully we are uh, doing it better than the, day, the year before. Not that the year before was not good. It's just that we like to improve on ourselves every time. So um, hope that experience today would be just as great as the last. Um, to start off, I, I would like to say if you folks haven't gotten your coffees yet, uh, go ahead and grab your coffee. Um, if you have to have your Danish or your breakfast, go ahead and grab that and settle in. It's going to be a fun-filled day full of knowledgeable uh, folks speaking and great information that we're going to be sharing. Mm -hmm. So to start the day off, um, we'd like to start off with our national anthem. like to follow that with Hawaii's own state anthem, the Hawaii Pono'i.
thank you to Kamehameha Schools uh, for providing us the Hawaii Pono'i. Um, I would like to now introduce Miles Tamashiro, who will provide the invocation for the day. Aloha, everyone. Good morning. Hope everybody is up. Please join me in prayer. Father God, Lord, thank you for the wonderful day that's upon us. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful Hawaiian weather that we live in. Uh, we, we just thank you for the Hawaii Association of the Blind, Lord, for, for just your grace and just your guidance over 55 years, Lord. It's been a long time, but Lord, we have been blessed in so many ways. We thank you for all of our members. Thank you for all of our guests speaking this morning. Lord, we ask that you just be glorified in all that is said and done today. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Miles. Um, can I get then Terry to read the uh, resolutions for us? Resolution 22-1, welcoming David Trott. Whereas David Trott has been a longtime leader in the American Council of the Blind, and he is our special guest at the 2022 White Association of the Blind Convention. And whereas we normally invite leaders of the ACB and their spouses to contribute to our annual convention so that we might get to know them and they us. And whereas when we decided to invite David Trott, we were hoping for an in-person convention which is important for face-to-face -face communication. And whereas we appreciate the fact that Mr. Trot will still be able to impart his knowledge to our membership. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the Hawaii Association of the Blind at its 55th annual convention this March 5th, 2022, that we express our appreciation to David Trot for his assistance in helping make our convention a success. And be it further resolved, that copies of this resolution be transmitted to David Trott and to Dan Spoon, President of the American Council of the Blind. Thank you, Maureen and Terry, and welcome, David. You know, as, as per usual for many, many years already now, um, you know, we like to incorporate um, our members in the program by giving them little um, spotlight uh, areas where they can introduce others or even um, be the MC for the day and so forth. And also that would give me some time to uh, gather my thoughts for later on in the day. But mostly it's to help our members become more part of their own organization. So I really do appreciate all of you and for the time that you guys put into this, putting on to uh, this year's convention and working on it. So with that said, I'd like to introduce our mistress of ceremony for the day, Kyle Lacanse, and she will take over for me, and I'll be back um, a little later. Kyle, it's yours. Thank you, President Art. I'd like to start out with um, calling up Sherry Tana, who will make her introductions. Sherry? Aloha, everybody. This is Roberta Thomas. I'm going to take over for Sherry at this point. I would like to take this opportunity to introduce a very unique man that I've gotten to know over the years. He has been our librarian at the Library for the Blind and Print Disabled. He is currently now 
our state librarian with that great promotion. And he will also be introducing the man who took over his position at the Library for the Blind and Print Disabled. His name is Baron Barosa. Let's all welcome him. Thank you, Baron. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for inviting me today. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. It's quite a privilege. And again, I really appreciate this opportunity. I wanted to make one correction real quickly. I am not Hawaii State Librarian. That's my boss, Stacy Aldrich. I am the director of the Hawaii State Library. I know it sounds like a subtle difference, but I just wanted to make that clear. Okay, so the, the theme, theme of our convention today is traveling through barriers. Um, we are all aware of the barriers that exist for, for those with vision loss, challenges with unemployment, navigating the streets, um, accessing educational opportunities, and sometimes just the lack of knowledge amongst the general public. But I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about communication barriers. Communication access is vital because we live in, in an information age. Organizations that serve individuals with uh, vision loss um, understand the need for things like auxiliary aids and services or reasonable accommodations in order to ensure effective communication. As you know, auxiliary aids are methods of making uh, materials that are usually visually delivered, available to people who are blind or have low vision. And they include things like audio recordings, materials in braille, large print materials, and screen readers. At the Library for the Blind and Print Disabled, uh, we don't consider these auxiliary aids. There are primary resources that we offer to our patrons. At uh, LBPD, our mission is to provide reading materials in accessible formats, uh, equipment, and other services to those who are unable or have difficulty reading standard print due to a visual or physical disability. Many of you are already patrons of the library, but if you know someone who might be thinking about applying for our services, here are the qualifications. An individual has to fall into any of the following categories. Blind persons, um, whose visual acuity is certified to be at or below a specified level, persons whose visual disability prevents them from reading standard printed material, persons who are unable to read standard printed material as a result of physical limitations, and persons with a reading disability like dyslexia resulting from an organic dysfunction. Uh, the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled or NLS, is the organization that provides network libraries like LDPD with a collection of books and magazines in digital audio and braille formats. We currently have access to almost 130,000 titles in audio and almost 28,000 braille items in the library. We loan out these items and the playback equipment to those who become our registered patrons. In addition to the audio and braille materials we lend out, we also have books in large print. There are fiction and nonfiction books, mostly at the adult reading level, but we also have a small percentage for young adults and children. Um, we also have uh, a service uh, where registered patrons can download digital audio and e-braille materials to their own personal devices. It's called BARD. Many of you use BARD. BARD stands for Braille and Audio Reading Downloads. Our registered patrons can download audiobooks to a personal computer or flash drive 
and then listen to them on the audio player that we provide. Additionally, NLS provides a free mobile app for both Apple and Android devices, which allows our registered patrons to download items directly to their smartphone or other mobile device. If you download Braille files, however, you need to connect your own Braille display or Braille embosser in order to read or transcribe the electronic Braille files. As many of you know, LBPD also has a service where you can get printed materials transcribed into audio, Braille, or large print, as long as they're not already available. If an LBPD registered user needs materials transcribed, the library will provide the service for free. Um, in addition to our patrons, qualified students, government agencies, and nonprofits may request the service as well. Library also has a closed circuit radio broadcast carried over a subchannel of KHPR, Hawaii Public Radio. Currently, the signal is available only on Oahu and Maui, uh, a special radio receiver, which we lend out uh, for free on long-term loan, is needed to listen to the radio broadcast. Uh, we broadcast live Monday through Friday from 10 to 11 a.m. and we have recorded programming for the rest of the day. During our live broadcast, volunteers read portions of the Star Advertiser, including the front page, local stories, editorials, letters to the editor, obituaries, and feature articles of local interest. Uh, they, our volunteers also record articles from publications like Midweek, Honolulu Magazine, and other sources, as well as grocery ads from Times, Foodland, Longs, and other retail outlets. We have a variety of other programs on the air that are provided by an organization called the Association of Audio Information Services. Now we realize sometimes that our radio signal is spotty and not always available um, on Oahu and not available at all on Kauai and the Big Island. So we've taken steps to start streaming all of our radio program on the internet. Uh, once we have that all set up, all of our patrons in the state of Hawaii as well as around the world will be able to listen to our programming. The library also has assistive technology to make uh, information more accessible to people with vision loss. Our public internet computers come with Zoom text screen enlarging software and JAWS, which as all, many of you know, is the text-to-speech software that reads uh, items on the computer screen. We also have video magnifiers available that enlarge the size of the print on a document or add contrast to increase visibility. Now, with all of the things that we have to offer, libraries like ours help break down the barriers that prevent communication from being effective and prevent information from being accessible. We're here to provide you with the access you need to the materials you need. Of course, we would not be as capable of fulfilling this mission without, without the generous support of the people from the Hawaii Association of the Blind. Last year, you helped us acquire more large print books for our collection. Uh, there was a time when the supply chain issues that have affected the world really slowed down the delivery of books to the library. Uh, once we got that kind of sort of resolved, we had to uh, purchase a lot more books and uh, in, a, in a more aggressive manner in order to have uh, our, the titles that our patrons wanted. Uh, the generosity of HAB also helped us purchase a streaming encoder so we could start that process of getting our radio programming onto a streaming platform. And uh, finally, you helped us defray the cost of Braille supplies that were needed so that we could create Braille versions of the voter and absentee registration forms for the Office of Elections. 
our partnership with HAB is vitally important. Your support provides access to reading materials, literacy, and self-education. It helps us break down barriers and transform lives. And the library will continue to do so under the leadership of a new director. Earlier this week, Matthew Brown became the interim manager of LBPD. Matt and I worked together as district administrators in the Hawaii State Public Library System, and I think he's the perfect fit for the library. And Matt is here with us today. Matt, uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your goals for LBPD. Well, good morning, everyone. And thank you, Baron. And thanks to each of you for the welcome. Um, a little bit about myself uh, first, I guess. After retiring from the Navy in 2010, I started my affiliation with the Hawaii State Public Library System, including as a volunteer, a library school intern, a youth services librarian, a library branch manager in Wahiwa, and most recently, as Baron noted, serving as a district administrator, supervising libraries in both West Oahu and on the Big Island. Back in 2010, um, while I was still in library school, I had a most special opportunity to work with some of the staff at what was then LBPH and to meet some patrons and hear their ideas and approach to library services. I have long thought about that experience in 2010 and the discussions we had considering changing technologies, the various roadblocks to using library resources and some of the potential ways to expand outreach and services to the community. Now, I'm really happy to be working alongside LBPD staff and the larger LBPD community, not only to maintain continuity of service, but to continue the efforts that our state librarian, Stacy Aldrich, and Barron have pursued to expanding opportunities for our patrons. I know there is a great deal for me to learn in the coming days, and I'm very much excited to take on these challenges of this new position and to support each of you in your library and information needs. I just want to again say thank you very much for the welcome this morning. This is an exciting conference, just in the things that I've heard so far and, and some of the dialogue. It's really going to be a great thing to be part of this, this community, and I appreciate the welcome. So mahalo nui loa. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be a great journey for you. And uh, I know you're going to work very well together with all the great folks at HAB. Uh, if I could just take a minute uh, to express um, uh, uh, my feelings, I, it's been quite an honor and a privilege to be able to work with uh, Art Cabanilla and all the folks at HAB over the last four or five years. Um, I've learned so much, and I, I, I have to say, I, I, I know I've become a better person for having having uh, been able to work with you all and interact with you all. It's, it's, it's been one of the great privileges of my life. And um, I, I hope this is not the end of our relationship, even though I'm not going to be the, the manager at L LBPD anymore. I hope we continue to find ways to work together 
and uh, work toward the, the betterment of this, this great organization. So thank you all again for inviting us to speak and um, have a great convention. Well, thank you, Baron and Matt. Um, at, at this point, I'd like to call up Ron Flamata to do his introduction. Ron? Aloha kako. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, the next person I am about to introduce is a no stranger to the blind community of Hawaii. Uh, this person has been in this particular uh, branch of the state for three decades. That's three, zero, 30 years. And that's because of dedication. Uh, if you last in your job for 10 years, okay, good. 20 years, hmm, 30 years? This is uh, like traveling to barriers, uh, like she said. And um, it is an honor to present to you the branch administrator. Uh, former, before that, she was the uh, counseling services supervisor. Before that, she was new division supervisor, all in Haupono without taking too much of your time. Ladies and gentlemen, friends of the blind community of Hawaii, please welcome Leia Diaz. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Wow, thank you, Ron, for the, the wonderful um, introduction, but oh, now I feel really old. <laughs> but no, um, I am so happy to be here today. Um, aloha, congratulations on your 55th, 55th annual state convention today. That's just fantastic. Um, I'm here to report to you on the, what's been happening at Ho'opono over the last year. And, you know, again, this last year of existence um, during COVID has been one filled with barriers. Like, you know, your theme talks about traveling through barriers. You know, we've had some barriers with physical distancing and virtual communications and, you know, you know, the list goes on and on. And throughout the last year, the staff at Ho'opono have still continued to provide services in any way that we possibly could. We never stopped finding ways to travel through barriers to deliver counseling and skills training and support groups, supporting higher education for our consumers, job placement, and so much more, you know, all the way from teenagers to kupuna, like I always say, um, it's, it's our mission and our passion to, you know, to serve you, to serve individuals who are blind and visually impaired. And so I'm going to try and share as much as I can with you in 15 minutes. You, all of you who know me know, know that that's hard for me, but I'm going to, that's my goal. I'm going to do it today. Okay, so first to let you know about our vocational rehabilitation program. Uh, our counselors, despite being short-staffed over the last year, have worked with about 217 people this last year of the pandemic. And our VR counselors and our employment specialists have um, 
plate, what we call placed and closed. So a number of blind people into employment over the last year. And wages for the jobs that we placed people in range from $12 to $25 an hour uh, with an average range of about $20 an hour, which is, which is pretty good. Um, our different kind of positions that we've successfully closed individuals in were included things like a teacher at the DOE, an office clerk for the Navy, a manager at 7-Eleven, a food prep worker at Mid-Pacific Country Club, a blind vendor, a stock clerk for the Defense Commissary Agency, and more. And as of today, we have 11 people who are currently employed that our staff are assisting and you know, just making sure that their employment is stable and that they're satisfied and their employers are satisfied before we kind of step out of the picture. So I mentioned earlier about a higher education. Um, many of you already know that at Ho'opono, um, at VR, we believe in supporting our consumers um, in higher education if, if they so choose and if they have those abilities and desires. And one of those shining stars, I don't know if he's in the audience today, I think he probably is, um, but he's completed his college education and he's on his way to a very well-paying job at a huge company with an eventual move to the mainland, I heard, in about six months for work. So congratulations, you know who you are, and we are all at Ho'opono still cheering for you and so very proud of you. And I wanted to tell you about another one of our consumers um, who's working on completing his doctorate in physics. Um, he's gonna complete his doctorate in December, and he's already been offered an excellent position after he graduates. And he's gonna be working in a kind of top security career with a starting pay that made my jaw drop, um, which is fantastic. And you know, this really cool thing the employer told him, hey, you know what? We're not interested in your eyes. As a physicist, we're more interested in your brain. And I thought that, wow, what a great employer um, to see what is really needed to be a physicist. It's not really your eyes, is it? It's your brain. It's your education, it's your preparation. And many of you know more examples of some of these shining stars. Um, whatever kind of job you get, um, we, we at Ho'opono are so proud of you. We hope it becomes a satisfying career for you. And wherever we've been able to be of help along the way, we've been honored to do so. Wanna mention a little bit about our independent living for older individuals who are blind, more commonly known as our OIB program. They've also been really busy over the last year. And uh, together the teachers worked with almost 300 uh, blind and visually impaired kupuna throughout the state, helping them to be safe, to be independent, and to be connected with our staff and with each other through virtual support groups. Over the past couple of months, we've also restarted in-person services in homes and in the communities where, you know, wherever the consumers are comfortable doing that. Um, we have two vacant OIB teacher positions right now, but we're hoping we're gonna be able to recruit for and fill those positions very soon so we can provide, you know, more coverage and more visits to folks, especially on neighbor islands. In the New Visions program, which is our adult uh, blindness training skills program, 
Uh, currently, they're working with about 22 adult students, and they've been attending virtual classes on Zoom regularly in Braille and technology, uh, home management, cooking, um, discussion groups, and shop. And we have been doing our orientation and mobility or cane travel lessons in person since last fall, as long as people are comfortable with that, because it's pretty hard to teach cane travel effectively uh, through Zoom, right? Um, and, you know, barring any more horrible new strains of COVID-19, fingers crossed, knocking on wood, uh, we are in the planning stages for returning to in-person classes in all subject areas as, as soon as we're permitted to do so. That means our holiday will reopen, we'll be able to take students from neighbor islands, and we'll be hopefully um, all together again. It might look a little different. We're going to have to structure things a little bit differently, um, but we're, we're looking forward to that as soon as we possibly can. You know, interestingly, the Braille that we've been teaching through Zoom has been one of our more successful classes. And I know Kyle and Stacy have both been involved in those classes, but uh, we've been able to help people even during the pandemic um, to get through all the way grade two or what's now called contracted Braille. So um, that's, that's been fantastic. Uh, and discussion classes have also been really, really popular. Um, and New Visions is still doing outreach beyond its normal classes. Uh, many of you may know about our iPhone club, our book clubs, our cooking classes that are open to the public. If you're interested and you don't know how to hook in, talk to Kyle Lacanse, talk to Stacy, uh, give us a call here at Ho'opono and we can tell you how to join in. Um, since the start of 2020, New Visions has been operating with fewer staff. Um, we have a second uh, O&M instructor position and a secretary position uh, that are still vacant and are awaiting funding, but I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to get that funding soon and recruit for those positions. And uh, we had a little switcheroo go on in, in the New Visions program. So uh, Stacy Fasuk, uh, who has been our technology instructor, as of February 16th, I believe, she's now our Braille instructor, <clears throat> little, excuse me, a little bit of change of pace for her. Um, and I know she'll do really well in that new position. However, that now leaves our technology instructor position open. So we're hoping that it's going to come out for recruitment soon. And um, if any of you are interested or you know of anyone who may be interested, um, you know, be on the lookout. We'll send out that announcement when it comes out, circulate it. And if any of you want to know what that job is like, well, you can always ask Stacy. <laughs> uh, she can let you know. Okay, uh, for the blind vending program, always busy, 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 right? Um, we do not currently have a business manager since Kat Fujimoto, who's the supervisor of the vending program, uh, retired last July. So I've been wearing that hat, which has been keeping me extra busy, uh, but I love it. I really enjoy the blind vending program. Um, right now we have 43 licensed blind vendors and big congratulations to our two newest vendors, Jonah Sniffen, who is with the Defense um, POWMIA Agency and Isaiah Leui. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name right, Isaiah. 
uh, at Kapolehale. And we've had lots of movement. Uh, Mr. Miles Tamashiro has moved back to Oahu after a long time, uh, now at the Silver Dolphin at Pearl Harbor. And then Ron Flormata moved the other way uh, from Oahu to Big Island. And congratulations to Ron, who's now at the Kona Airport South. Um, and I'm probably missing someone, but uh, I know I only have limited time. Okay. Uh, we're working with a small number of vendors right now who need a little assistance to open their facilities back up post uh, COVID. And um, as the governor's emergency proclamation, you, you probably all heard, is coming to an end later this month and our government buildings are starting to reopen. Um, I can't stress enough how important it is that we need to get our blind vendors back in their facilities and operating. Uh, some are more ready than others. Some have been operating the entire time. Uh, some need a little extra support. And that's what uh, the staff and I are, are assisting with at this time. Um, we also need to really take a look together with the State Committee of Blind Vendors as well as all the blind vendors, uh, the whole community and our staff working together to look at what is the Randolph Shepherd program going to look like moving forward? Um, I think we need to start pivoting toward a sort of a new model because, you know, with the advent of telework, which may be here to stay in some form or another, there's not so many staff working in government buildings anymore. Um, how can the Randolph Shepherd move forward Randall Shepherd program move forward into the future. And, you know, we can look at um, what some other states have been doing, um, but really I want us as a, as, a, as a body to make that decision for ourselves for Hawaii. How are we going to survive and thrive so that th this program can exist in the future for um, our young people who are coming up and are going to also want to become blind vendors in some cases. Um, speaking of that, we are putting together our next training class uh, for the vending program. I think we have three folks so far who are interested, um, but we'd love to have more. So if you or you know of anyone who's interested in running a business and is entrepreneurial minded and has those kinds of skills, please send them our way. Like I said, we'd love to have more people. Um, during the pandemic, uh, Vocational Rehabilitation Administration and Ho'opono have helped with some costs for PPE for vendors. And we were also able to distribute close to $500,000 in federal relief funds from Congress to the blind vendors, who in most cases have suffered great financial losses because of the pandemic. Uh, moving on to just a couple of our contracts uh, you may know that we have a couple of large troop dining contracts uh, in blind vending program or BEP. One of those is at Kanyohe Marine Corps Base. And um, we're still there. Uh, Virgil Stinnett is operating that uh, facility. And um, although we are operating it, we are kind of a temporary contract. It's called a bridge contract. Uh, we've been doing well there, no problems. And we're hopeful that when the contract comes up again next year, that we will be able to bid successfully and win that contract back outright. Schofield Barracks contract is a kind of a different situation. Um, right now, the vendor there 
has been displaced because uh, the service is being operated by an entity other than Ho'opono, which we're not happy about, uh, obviously. Uh, we've got things on in an ongoing appeal, and um, it's scheduled to go back to court sometime later this summer. We're guessing around August um, to the Ninth District Court, um, which could be on the mainland, could be in Hawaii, but we've got some good attorneys working with us. And we're going to continue to fight, and we won't stop till we get Schofield Barracks back. Excellent, excellent opportunity um, for a blind person to make a really, really good living. A couple of more things. Um, I've recently been in touch with a representative from the Federal Bureau of Engraving and Printing, also called BEP, uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, they have a project to distribute free iBill currency readers and training. Uh, and at Ho'opono, we will be doing that in the near future uh, for folks who may need them statewide. So a lot of you are probably already familiar with currency readers, but it involves, you know, sticking a, you know, $5 bill in a little slot on a little, it's a small device. Uh, and it'll tell you, it'll either read it out loud for you, or it can also vibrate a certain way for folks who are deaf and blind so that you will know what kind of currency that you have. So anyway, stand by for more information on that. Um, I'm thinking that we probably will be the ones that will be doing the distribution in the state of Hawaii. Um, and many of you may know that this iBill currency reader program being offered by the feds is a result of the ACB uh, and the HAB fighting for accessible currency for people who are blind. So Kudos to you guys for that one. Um, just want to let you know also, we are currently in the process of procuring a new optometrist, optometrist for our low vision clinic, which has been shut down um, due to the pandemic and also the retirement of Dr. Miles Fujinaka here. Um, and I'm hoping that we're going to have a new low vision clinic optometrist on board sometime this spring. So they'll be providing low vision exams, you know, prescribing special glasses or magnifiers or devices to those who need them. We will be operating it statewide. Um, so the doctor will need to travel to neighbor islands, excuse me. <clears throat> and, you know, it's so good to know that, so the exams are, are free to anyone, um, but aids and devices are not free. Uh, so it's good to know, it is so good to know that if anyone who comes to us and is prescribed an aid or a device and they can't afford it, that we have generous donations from the Hawaii Association of the Blind so that we don't have to turn blind people away. We can say there's a way that we can still help you to get what you need so you can still live independently and do the things that you want to do. So thank you all. Thank you all for your donations. They help in so many ways. I'm just going to go ahead and close here. And again, you know, I love your convention theme, traveling through barriers. And, you know, everyone faces obstacles in life, right? They're, they're different for each one of us as individuals and as groups. But the bigger those barriers are and 
the more impossible they seem to get over or get around or get under, the more satisfaction you get when you overcome it, right? And the HAB knows all about that. And Ho'opono knows about that. Thank you all for being such wonderful partners and helping us travel through barriers over the years. And we'll continue to do the same for you in any way we can. Mahalo, everyone. Wow, Leah. <laughs> wow, that was awesome. I'm honored to thank you and from everybody here at the convention. I, I do want to open up any uh, open it up to anyone who might have a question. You will need to unmute yourself. Um, does anyone have a question for Leah at this moment? That was awesome. You, uh, we are on time, and actually, we're early. <laughs> Leah, isn't that great? I timed myself this year because <laughs> every year I go over, and I could have told you way more. Let me tell you way more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So again, I, 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 did, I, want to, I do want to chime in here and say yes. thank you, Leah. Um, you know, um, it's always a pleasure to have you uh, at our conventions and hear what you have to share with the members of HAB. Um, and it's always our pleasure to be a part of Ho'opono and making services available to the blind here in Hawaii. So we really do uh, thank you for being here. And, it, and as uh, Kyle mentioned, if anybody does want to ask a question, one, maybe two, that's about all we have uh, available, um, you do need to raise your hand for um, our ACB media team to recognize you and give you access to the microphone. Uh, thank you, Leah, for the 15-minute presentation. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, uh, <Rob. laughs> uh, My only question would be, uh, BP manager, uh, are we any? Are we anywhere near getting one? Or I yeah. know there's only Bruce and Tad right there, and it, they're having really a hard time. They, we, they are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think they're they're doing a really good job. Um, I'm trying to help out as much as I can. But you're right. Yes, the business manager position has been vacant since last July. Um, the state process is that. Uh, job announcements go out internal first, meaning people who already work in the department get to apply first, and then it will go external. So the position did go internal. Nobody wanted to apply. <laughs> um, I wish someone did, but no. Um, so then it got held up before it went external because mm, just to put it as simply as possible, they, there is a lot of outdated stuff in the position description, long, long time ago, uh, that position oversaw when we had a sheltered workshop. Some of you may remember our sheltered workshop. So there's some language in the position description that really needs to be updated. Um, so it's being held up at the state level right now. I actually have a meeting on Monday with the HR folks to take a look at kind of what, how, what we need to do, how we need to fix it so that we can move it along and put it out for recruitment. When it does come up for recruitment, uh, anyone can apply for the job, uh, as long as you meet the minimum qualifications. The timeline, I can't tell you for sure, um, but it's coming. It is funded, it is fully funded. So I, I couldn't even guess, I hope a couple of months it should come out, I hope. 
I don't know if that answers your question, Ron. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good info. Uh, thank you, Leah. Thank you. Anyone else? At this point, we have no hands raised. Thank you. Thanks, no, again, Leah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Sorry. Go I ahead. I was just going to say, Art, that means i known you for 30 years, too. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We've been uh, friends for 30 plus years, I believe. So, yeah. Yes. And, I, and like you said earlier, makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> it means we're dedicated. Dedicated. There you go. <laughs> but anyway, I, 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 and I wiser. appreciate, and wiser. I appreciate yes. you for being here. Yeah. My hair is a lot whiter than it was 30 years ago. Yeah. Join, joining the club. Joining the club. <laughs> it's Roberta. I just wanted to thank you also for joining us today. Thank and, you. You know, it's been an honor to um, work with Ho'opono in the past, and I'm glad that you came on today to speak on Ho'opono's behalf, especially in this traveling through barriers, because we all face a lot of barriers on a daily, you know, regardless if it's work, school, you know, there's so many things coming up, and advocacy work is one of the best things that we can do together as one so that's all i have to say thank you absolutely thank you roberta and i didn't know you were that roberta when i saw yes. your name it's yeah, roberta another one i've known about you yeah. and dr roberta congratulations i might thank say you. okay well on that note thank you again leah and i'll see you on monday <laughs> Thank you, everyone, again. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your questions. Feel free to give me a call anytime. Aloha. And rest in love, Londa. And I'll sign off now. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, now is the time I'm going to call up Cynthia Hirakawa. Cynthia? Good morning, HAB members, guests, and friends. It is my privilege this morning to introduce to you Maureen Bates. She is the administrator of the Division for Vocational Rehabilitation within the state of Hawaii's Department of Human Services. Throughout her multifaceted career, she has held jobs in the private sector as well as in state and federal government. For the past 23 years, Maureen has served the disability community in Hawaii in positions at Goodwill Industries, the Veterans Administration Pacific Island Healthcare System, as a grant writer for the Child and Family Service, and as a rehabilitation counselor before becoming administrator at the DVR. Maureen's educational credentials are also impressive. She received undergraduate degrees in political science and English at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. She then went to Columbia University's Teachers College in New York City, where she obtained a, ma a master's uh, degree in educational administration. While working at the VA, um, she worked with mental health patients, and also attended Boston University's Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation. 
During her time at Goodwill Industries, she was given time to complete coursework to be certified as a rehabilitation counselor. Some of her education being done remotely, um, taking courses from San Diego State University and Utah State University, as well as the University of Hawaii. She received her certification in 2000. Maureen lives in Kaneohe, where she enjoys sailing with her husband and with her two dogs, Hoku and Lola. Please welcome Maureen Bates. Thank you. So good morning and thank you so much, Cynthia, for that warm <laughs> rendition of my history here uh, and my dedication to our community needs uh, for equity. I, I do see Today's uh, theme is very inspiring, traveling through barriers. And as you heard Leah share, there was, there's been so many barriers overcome. I, I wanna applaud the staff of Ho'opono who have really been tremendous in breaking a, a really significant barrier pre-pandemic and, and it's continued during the pandemic as you heard her talk about the wage, the hourly wages. And I think what's really the barrier that that, that has been broken is that individuals without disabilities, sighted individuals, uh, have an hourly wage pre-pandemic of $25 an hour, or $24.50, sorry, $24.50 an hour. And pre-pandemic, the whole Pono staff had placements at an average of $25 an hour. And that's a barrier breaker. That means that the individuals that our whole Pono staff were working with exceeded the rate, hourly rate of pay for people who are without disabilities in Hawaii. And this has been, you know, an effort of all of us here at DVR is to build equity for individuals with disabilities to have equal pay for equal work. So traveling through these barriers, I want us to keep in mind today a little bit about our uh, partners over in the Ukraine Association of the Blind, where They've been working to build equity for 79 years, as, as opposed to your 55 years. They've been at it 79 years, and right now they've got a big barrier in front of them. In today's um, you know, theme, I also want to recognize that you know, we're working through barriers here at DVR associated with having gone through this pandemic and having a hiring freeze that has been lifted. As you heard Leah say, we've We've started to fill and recruit for vacancies. And as we do that, we understand that our order of selection, which is really called a wait list, uh, we have the opportunity to resolve that wait list. There's 586 people awaiting services around the state. And our goal is to finish that resolution of the wait list, getting everybody off that wait list by October of this year, so that there will be no more wait list for DVR services. And we can't do that without you and all of our other partners. And I wanna thank all of our partners that we work with um, in, to collaborate on getting our stakeholders into the workforce here in Hawaii, but also nationally and internationally. Leah spoke of one of uh, their, their graduates who was able to get a job or has been offered a job after they complete their doctorate in this coming December, but their internship is in Germany this summer. And that's an international assignment. Um, we have a 
local resident that has gotten a job with an international company and they're already working for them uh, remotely and then they'll move to the mainland and, and hopefully they'll advance in their career with that large corporation. So we have national, international and local employment opportunities that are just tremendous and we can't do it without the employer partners and education partners and volunteers like yourselves. And Matt, Art, Kyle, um, Ron, you, you've all conveyed the dedication it takes as volunteers. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, DVR is obviously a paid partner, but we, we really understand that the volunteers that make up the Hawaii Association of the Blind are tremendous stakeholders as we also work on legislative initiatives to build opportunities and reinforce opportunities for employment in our workforce. Uh, we know that our staff have been really um, dedicated during the pandemic to engaging with employers. And over in Maui, we've got uh, a summer program we're developing with the Ohana, um, sorry, trying to find my notes, the um, Ohana Pacific Health, employers are looking to employ students with disabilities during the summer program. Our Kauai staff have been able to find people jobs that were laid off during the pandemic uh, and they're back with their employers and they're also being able to engage in the career paths that they have been trained up for in accounting. We have in our Hawaii branch uh, employers working with us to again you know, employ the individuals who got laid off during the pandemic. And uh, one individual who had just about finished their support employment program was rehired over uh, or was hired on their own. They made their, their own effort to get hired after they got laid off from their support employment assignment with that employer. So it's just a testament to our staff and, and to the employer community that there is a, a awareness of the abilities of all the people we serve and the opportunity to integrate them into the workforce. And I, I do wanna leave you with two success stories that Alea didn't highlight um, specifically, but they were graduates of um, the Ho'opono program as they started out as students with disabilities. And they decided locally to become um, givers of, of and serve our community. So both, both of these individuals work in our workforce here in Hawaii, giving back, one working with um, youth and the other working with adults, veterans. And both of these individuals have become counseling um, and mentors to other individuals with disabilities. These two graduates of Ho'opono's program, uh, blindness isn't an issue. And as you heard Leia speak, the employer that's hired this physicist said they want the person for their brain. Well, uh, the, these employers here in Hawaii want these two dedicated staff because of their hearts and their brains. And so it's really the heart that, that helps us through these barriers. And I want to reinforce how important it is for all of us to collaborate. And thank you again for this opportunity here and great with you. Uh, that the barriers are just an opportunity that you all see through and, uh, and, and find ways to 
collaborate amidst those barriers. So thank you so much and have a great conference and we wish you all the best. Mahalo nui loa. Thank you, Maureen. Great to see you. Thanks for being with us today. Does anyone have any questions? We do have five minutes. Please raise your hand and unmute yourself. All right, we have, oops, sorry, one hand raised. Um, from Roberta, has her hand raised. You can go ahead and unmute, Roberta. Hi, Maureen. Oh. Thank you so much for your, um, your presentation today. It was a challenge to try to get you on, but we finally got you. And I wanted to just thank you so much for imparting that bit of good news to all of us here at HAB, the guests included, because there is a lot of barriers that we always travel through on a daily, like I said before, and you have been an integrable help to our community in all what you do. I had the opportunity of meeting you at an HEB conference approximately five years ago, and I really appreciate, you know, um, connecting with you again. My last name has changed so because I got married this past year. So just to know, let you all know, this is actually Roberta Young, now Roberta Thomas. Thank you, Roberta. This is Maureen, and I really uh, want to congratulate you on your um, marriage and, and your future <laughs> adventures in that marriage. I also want to thank you for inviting us, um, DVR and myself, to participate in today's conference and also just again you know all the dedication of the volunteers uh you you constantly welcome us you share with us your needs and then we all have to collaborate as we know during legislative session right now we're all working hard to make sure that um, access to resources is reinforced on our neighbor islands you heard Leah talking about we're, we're getting our staff back out to the neighbor islands. We're filling some vacancies to ensure we have staffing to serve the neighbor islands, but it takes more. And so this legislative session is looking at some pilot programs for the neighbor islands to have more independent living resources. And that wouldn't have come to fruition to be even on the table and at such an um, important time when the state does actually have some funding to give out and um, it, and it won't come to fruition either without the volunteers really looking at how can we make this happen? How can we change access and transportation services? How can we ensure everybody has you know, what they need? Um, so it, it is that volunteer, volunteerism that um, stays with us. And I'm, I'm hoping that you know, we, we don't lose all these volunteers as they retire and, and making sure that Barron's Stays engaged, even though Matt stepped up um, at the library. So, thank you again. Thank you, Maureen. Appreciate you being here. Um, I, you know what, you guys? We have two minutes. I'm thinking, Mr. Master of Door Prizes, do you have two maybe that you could uh, give away? Maybe even more in two minutes? Can you speak fast like me? <laughs> Antonio, do you have any door prizes to give out? I am going to. I am here. Sorry. Oh, you I was, are. I was, Yay. Yes. 
What do you think? Uh, I think we, uh, can, we do it. I can I can pull a, pull a couple quick ones up. Sure. Okay, right. great. Thank Let's you. See. All right. So I will I will make uh, one or two people here uh, happy here. So uh, let me pull up my list. And let's see. So number one, what do we have? Um, we have, uh, let's see. Okay. So, all right. So nice. All right. We have a $20 Starbucks card and that was donated by Mr. or Miss Anonymous. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. And uh, the winner is going to be Shirley uh, Sipert. I'm not sure about the last name there, but it's a S-Y-P-E-R-T. Shirley, 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 you have won. Shirley, you must be happy. So uh, number, we'll do one more quick one. Uh, we've got, uh, oh, nice. Okay. So we've got a $25 Honolulu, uh, crack. What is this? Crack, crack seed card. I I'm not, I'm not familiar with that, but hopefully <laughs> you know what that is, but it's, it's a $25 card. So that that's pretty nice. Um, I think and, those are stores that sell snacks. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Hey, snacks. I love snacks. Uh, and this is from, oh, Norman. Okay. Norman Ota. Thank you very much, Norman, for this, uh, lovely present. And this is going to go to Stacy Aldrich. Stacy Aldrich. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you, Antonio. No problem. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So next up we have Amy Downard and Amy, you're going, you're up to do your introduction. Okay, good morning, HAB members, and congratulations on another wonderful convention. I have the honor to introduce our head person in the state level for the Department of Education for services for students who are blind and visually impaired. Now, some of you may remember years ago in the late 1990s, early 2000s, up to that time, uh, the lead person was actually the principal of Hawaii School for Deaf and Blind. But as that school has transitioned more to a school for the deaf, that position was moved to the state level as an education specialist. And in the past, we had Kristen Oyen, uh, Christian Yates, and Dr. Christine Takikawa in that position. And now we have Michelle Arakawa. She is... Uh, She holds a master's of education with an emphasis in special education. She started out as a preschool teacher. That's why she always has a lot of energy and smile because she's uh, used to trying to control the preschoolers. Uh, She was also a special ed teacher for the middle school, a department chair and a student service coordinator. I cannot thank her enough for all the work and support and attention she's given to improve services statewide for our students who are blind and visually impaired. So please welcome Michelle Arakawa. Thank you, Amy. Um, It's always good to see you too. And um, Amy is very vital um, in the work that we do. I'm so thankful for her. And thank you all Hawaii Association of the Blind for having me here this morning. Um, It's good to be here and hear all the wonderful things that are going on to help break down these barriers for um, our students and adults in our community. so my report is really just kind of sharing about the uh, Department of Education. So in our system, we have right now uh, 48 students that are officially listed in our system under IDEA. 
but we have teachers of the visually impaired statewide who report and let me know um, their caseloads. And that's students that are receiving services for visual impairment. And that could be either through an IEP or a 504. Um, we actually have four times that amount statewide that the teachers um, keep me abreast on and of their needs. We currently have, of those teachers, 15 of them are Department of Education teachers. We also have had to contract two um, teachers of visually impaired. So that's um, virtual services um, consultation on the Big Island. So we have two vacancies on the Big Island. We also have three vacancies here in Oahu. Um, oh, and I of the 15 Department of Education teachers, 11 of them are um, orientation and mobility specialists. So in order to fill, because we have these vacancies, we also know that um, vacancies will be coming up in the future. So what I'm doing is working very close with the um, Portland State University and through the University of Hawaii, we have an MOA. So we were able to get a cohort together, kind of growing our own, and that's with teachers, educational assistant, one is a tutor here that's already employed with Department of Ed and really trying to um, get them the certification so that they can be licensed to work with our students with visual impairments and orientation mobility. So during the summer, what we did was we have formed a cohort. Um, they applied to Portland State University, and then we're working closely to bring the instructor here because normally in the past, everybody had to fly up to Portland State University um, to get all of these credentials and licensing done. But what we're doing is working with them to actually fly the instructor here. And then that way they learn orientation and mobility here in the community. So that's exciting. That's happening this summer. That'll be the first time that we're doing. It's kind of a pilot. Um, I'm also working with the University of Hawaii and Portland State. Um, they're working on a grant to hopefully fund this for the future. So exciting things are happening. It's a lot of, um, Working with other people, and uh, Amy has been helpful, our TVIs are helpful um, to get this going. My administration has been very supportive. Um, other things that are going on, we continue to be registered with the American Printing House, who provides accessible products, materials, services um, for our students and um, teachers of visually impaired. So I'm looking forward to, I'm going to um, be traveling there in April to meet them and really try to um, help out with the partnerships. And new this year, we have a contract with Aloha Braille, who's helping to provide materials and bear for our students statewide. Um, it's been so successful that last week we had to add additional funds to keep this service um, continuing for our students and our teachers. We also were able to um, have funding through the American Rescue Plan. So we had complex areas apply and receive funding so we can get additional um, materials, um, technology and so their funding um, was received we sent out the the money based on their proposals so now they can get even more new equipment um, and also professional development for our teachers and then lastly i just wanted to say thank you for your support and inviting me here today and letting me be a part of your convention it's been great to hear um, everything going on Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Does anyone have any questions? We have some time. 
Please raise your hand. Roberta. Go ahead, Roberta. I'm sorry to interrupt again. I just wanted to thank you, Michelle, again, because um, it was enlightening to hear all the wonderful things that the TVIs are doing in our community, especially for our children. And my deepest thanks to all of you TVIs because you are the, the backbone to help support all the students in Hawaii, especially in the public school systems, as well as outside of school. Because I know some of you have worked with our HAB community and have helped them to learn their orientation and mobility skills. That was a great, great help you know, for a lot of them that I've known in the past that have struggled with mobility issues. And you, you have always, um, your staff has always been patient with a lot of us, including myself, I have to say. So thank you so much. And I'm glad that the certifications are coming through that you're gonna be able to bring in the Portland instructors to help certify all of our TVIs here in the state. Mahalo nui loa. Oh, yes, mine's more of a comment than a question. Uh, I just wanted to uh, follow up with what Michelle had said about the Braille list. Uh, it has been truly a game changer as a teacher, especially for math um, materials. Even at the third grade level, you cannot believe what these kids have to do and all of the materials, they have to be embossed, uh, created by hand. So now we can move that over to Aloha Braille um, and they have given us great materials for the students to see all of the tactile graphics, the correct Braille in the Nimeth form for math. Um, it's, it's been a real game changer. So I cannot thank you enough for that support. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Michelle. We do have a little more time uh, before our next speaker. Does um, I want to see if Antonio wants to come back and maybe give out a couple more door prizes. Sure, Antonio? Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let me pull up my list here and then I'll, I'll give someone a present. Let's see. Who's it going to be? Uh, we've got our third winner of the day and they are going to be winning. Oh, here we have another nice gift card. Uh, it's $25 at McDonald's. That's, that's, that's pretty nice uh, amount there. And this was uh, donated by uh, Jody Asato. Okay, so let's see who's going to win this one. This is going to be uh, Candy Wamper. Uh, Way, I, I hope I'm, I got that right. W-E-I-M-P-E-R. Candy, congratulations. You've got a $25 McDonald's gift card. All right. So what do you think, Kyle? Uh, are we good? Yeah, or do you want to one do more. One more? Sure. Yeah, right. that'd be great. All right. Let's see. Oh, wow. Okay. This one, this one's uh, an impressive one. All right. So we've got a $40 longs card. That's, that's a big number. That's, that's a lot of stuff. Um, and this is from, wow, Norman Ota. Thank you so much, Norman, for your uh, generous uh, donation here for somebody. And this is going to be going to dun, 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 Dean Georgiev. Uh, again, sorry if I got that wrong. George, Georgiev. <laughs> yep. Georgiev. Yep. Okay. Dean, congratulations. Yay, Dean. Bravo. Just, just a quick note. Candy has her hand raised. Oh, sure. 
So, Candy, you should be able to unmute yourself. Thank you, Desi. I just wanted to say how impressed I am with this convention. I'm actually a supporter of the uh, HCB because of Vicki Kennedy. And I don't know if any of you know her, but she is a very um, large advocate for the blind. And I'm so impressed with her and all that she does and all that this organization does. And I want to thank you, whoever donated, I think it was, her name was Jody that donated the, yeah, uh, Jody. the gift card. And I'm so very grateful. It will definitely <laughs> be used by my grandchildren. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yay. Um, hey, love thank making you. grandchildren happy. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> thank it. You, thank this you. Thank you. Great convention. Yeah. Learning a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Candy. Thanks, Antonio. Yeah, no problem. Right. So, Des, you want to um, ACB Media Team? Do you guys want to play one of our um, our commercials? Technology helps people connect in many ways. We're moving to Florida. Okay. With tablets and screen magnification software. Oh, great picture. Can I come back to say hello? We can grab a quick bite for dinner. Oh, that sounds like a plan. With braille displays, computers, <laughs> smartphones, and more. Kids. <laughs> I Can Connect provides equipment and training to help people with combined hearing and vision loss connect with the world. Find your state program at iCanConnect.org or call 800-825-4595 or TTY 888-320-2656. Thank you very much. And now I'd also like to ask the ACB media team to play Saja Kerala's, um her introduction, which is a recording. Our next speaker for today is a friend of the blind community. He is a professor at the University of Hawaii, where he teaches classes in journalism and communications. He has a deep interest in history and he loves exploring places that reflect the history and culture of our country. In his free time, he likes to read the brochures of museums and other historical places. And one day, as he was reading the brochure of a national park, it suddenly occurred to him that there are millions of blind people in America who don't get to do what he takes for granted. It bothered him that blind and visually impaired people can't just pick up a National Park brochure and read it like he does. So he decided to do something about it. He made it his life's mission to audio describe the brochures of all 475 National Parks in the country. That's very ambitious. But as of now, almost 200 brochures have already been described through his efforts. Dr. Brett Opegaard formally started a project called Uni Description, UNI Description, that's one word, in 2014 with the purpose of audio describing all national park brochures in the country. And this project is not just describing the brochures, but making sure that blind and visually impaired individuals can access them wherever and whenever they like. The project has developed an app by the same name called Uni Description. The app is also called Uni Description, U-N-I Description, that's one word again, where all the brochures are housed. Now, I will let him speak more about the project. 
It is my great honor and privilege to welcome Dr. Brett Opagard. Yeah, thank you, Saja. Uh, hopefully everybody can hear me all right. Aloha, everyone. I'm, I'm Brett Opagard. Uh, it's wonderful to be back in front of HAB, my home chapter. Um, <clears throat> I'm a professor at the University of Hawaii, principal investigator of the Unidescription Project. I've talked about this project uh, before, but um, I'll give you a little bit of an update. First, I'd like to audio describe my appearance in the Zoom uh, box here. So in my Zoom rectangle, I'm in a little rectangle like everybody is. I'm shown from my shoulders up. I'm a 51-year-old American man, white in the abstract, but with ancestral origins in the United Kingdom and Norway. Indicating those roots visually, I have blue eyes, a pinkish tan skin with a red undertone and dark brown hair. My hair is cut short on the sides, but kept long on the top, showing some waviness to it. I do not have any facial hair beyond my eyebrows and maybe a little bit in my ears. Uh, I'm wearing clear framed reading glasses. Contextually, I am six feet tall and weigh about 200 pounds, but there's nothing in this image to use to gauge my body's size and shape. Just wanted to let you know roughly how, how I'm shaped. I'm wearing a uh, black collared shirt that has an open button at the top on the UH campus. Uh, as some, some of you probably know, almost no one wears a tie, so I'm not doing that today, uh, but I'm dressed for uh, the work environment, but uh, working from home today. My background shows a black and white image of the single story UH administration building but because it's um, <clears throat> somewhat opaque and uh, treated in a, in a way to make it kind of fall into the background, it's hard to really make out the structure or any details on it. You can just kind of tell it's a single story building in the background, but that's what it is. <clears throat> and when I give this description, I am, giving you an example of some of the uh, areas that we're researching uh, in the unit description project, how to make a, de a description of people that builds a mental image of that person in that context. So some things you might've heard in this description, number one, I started off by describing on a meta level that I was in a zoom rectangle. So I'm not describing myself uh, physically in your presence, but in a mediated presence and in, um, in, a, in a presence that's constrained by that medium in that Zoom rectangle. Uh, I wrote my description in first person. A lot of people write it in third person. So there's the uh, compositional approach there that we're considering. I included in my description age, race, ethnicity, a visual description of my face, eye color, skin color, hair color, hairstyle, uh, but also what's not there, like my facial hair. I included my body size and shape, my clothing, uh, style of dress, and um, other details. <clears throat> and so what we found over the past few years, and in particular, we've been studying uh, descriptions of people, all of these little details add up to create a picture in a person's mind, uh, equivalent to or similar to what a person who is sighted would get from looking at this Zoom box that I'm in. And, um, 
And that's just one step toward accessibility. That's simple enough to do. It probably took me about, I don't know, maybe 45 seconds to describe myself, but um, in a way that includes people in the, uh, in the moment and in the uh, broader way of, of what everybody who uh, would be participating in this Zoom or other Zooms might get in terms of information about me. <clears throat> so each one of these uh, little attributes we we are studying, um, we're doing these in different ways, and I'll talk a little bit more that, about that in a minute, but I do want to give an overview of our project uh, for those of you who have not um, heard me talk before at this group. Uh, the Unit Description Project has a website called uh, unidescription.org, so www.unidescription.org. And that's, an, that's a website that contains a variety of resources for audio description. It, it includes a um, open source, open access web tool for creating audio description. It creates uh, ways on there that you can distribute audio description. And um, it links to our free mobile apps, which Sajja mentioned in the introduction, that are designed to give uh, people who are blind or people who have low vision equivalent access to the National Park Service brochure that folks pick up at the visitor center um, of any National Park Service site. So this brochure is uh, special in the sense that when people come to a site, almost everybody who goes to a National Park Service site gets one of those, reads it, and then they know what's at the site and what they can do there and that sort of thing. But if you don't have access to that, what what ends up happening is people um, have to rely on other folks to decide what to do and other folks to, to you know decide what the agenda is for the day. And so in this way, um, just making that brochure more accessible is going to increase um, everyone's ability to be included and make decisions about what would happen uh, when you visit a national park. Why visit national parks? Well, national parks are the places in this country that everyone's decided, everybody in the United States has decided this is so valuable that we need to put a lot of money into these places and save them for generations and after generations. They're our most precious places and they're reserved for everybody in the United States to enjoy. Everybody should enjoy them. So for me, the basic step of making those brochures more accessible is just the first step to making the whole site more accessible. And we're working on some of that. Um, in terms of our website and our project, um, we have three basic primary objectives. Number one, we're a, we're a research uh, initiative. So we're um, focused on the research. We're not a company trying to sell anybody anything. We're not trying to make a profit. We're simply trying to make the world more accessible and then learn about the processes and products of accessibility. So that's the um, kind of fundamental uh, platform that we're on. We want to study audio description as it's used and especially as it's used in public places because I found over the years that the one, kind of one common ground that binds all of this interest in audio description is how do, we, um, how do we make public places more inclusive? How do we, how do we socially include people in, in, uh, in the world? 
everybody, people who, uh, who can see a brochure, people who can't see a brochure, uh, any level of site, you should be able to be in a public place and use it just like everybody else. So that's a primary part of our research. Number two, um, when, we, when we made that goal, we realized that there was a lack of tools um, for doing this kind of work. So we had to build the open access, open source tools. So through grant funds and a lot of work, we've spent about the past eight years on this project. Um, we've built these tools and we give them away to anybody who wants to make their places more accessible. So they can go to our website, make a free account, build these <clears throat> build these uh, descriptions and then give them away to people really easily, and including through our free uh, mobile apps. And then to get to the mobile app, you just would open up your um, app store or Google play store, type in unit description, UNI description, and you can download our free app. Uh, you open up that app and there's around 150 national park sites already on there that you can listen to. Um, you can listen to those, before you go to the site, you can listen to those at the site and you can listen to them just if you're interested in knowing more about the site, you know, just as kind of a virtual traveling um, experience. And we've had a lot, of, uh, a lot of success with those in terms of people really enjoying all the work we put into them and how we make the descriptions uh, quite detailed and, and um, evocative. Uh, and we do that primarily through a, an event once or twice a year that we bring together people called a descriptathon. And a descriptathon is a hackathon-like event where we bring together uh, teams of people from National Park Service sites. So there's a group from a uh, particular site, and then there's people who are blind or people who have low vision on the team, and then there are volunteers in the community on the team, and everybody's working together in equal ways to co-create the descriptions. <clears throat> and so the, um, the teams create the descriptions of the site. We put those into the mobile apps and then we give that description away to anybody who's interested in it. And so each year we, we, um, we work with not only US National Park Service sites, we've also been working recently with uh, Parks Canada sites. If people like to travel to Canada, we have uh, been working with National Parks UK, um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. So anywhere there's a public place, anywhere there's a public place can be made more accessible. That's what we're interested in doing. Um, Vicki Kennedy was mentioned earlier. I, I just want to give a special shout out to uh, Vicki and her husband, Jim Kennedy. They worked recently on the Pearl Harbor uh, description for that site uh, for the anniversary um, in December. And so Pearl Harbor up to that point had did not have an accessible brochure. Uh, Vicki and Jim and a group of park service people came together and, and described that brochure and had it ready for that uh, 80th anniversary. And it was um, well, very well received for that. So you can still listen to that, of course, if you want to know more about Pearl Harbor. To date, we've offered uh, eight descriptathons involving hundreds of people around the world. Um, in uh, it, it will we'll be having another one of those descriptathons in uh, October, mid October. If you're interested in joining us, I would love to have more people from Hawaii participate in that. 
uh, you just would send me an email and I'll get you on the list. And then when all the details come out, you can um, decide if you want to do that or not. Uh, during these descriptathons, one of the one of the introductory activities we do to get people um, working together and getting them uh, kind of oriented to their teams, we have people upload a profile photo and we have people describe the profile photo, sort of like what I just did when I started this talk. And that description is used uh, not only so everybody gets a sense of who they're working with, but also as a way for us to think more about and research more about profile uh, uh, descriptions. So when, you, when, when we think about what's in a profile description, we think about, like I said, age, race, ethnicity, gender, et cetera. And one of our um, recent pieces of research, and the one where I'm actually writing uh, this week, is about the gender part of that. So when you think about gender, so sex is uh, something that's biologically determined, and then gender is something that's socially determined. And so uh, gender has some fluidity to it, and gender identity is socially constructed. So one of the things we wanted to study in our research was how does, is gender socially constructed in audio description? <clears throat> and this is uh, something I could talk about for a long time and we have a lot of information on, but I'll just give you a high level summary of it that we found in audio description, gender identity was constructed in four primary ways. And those ways were through um, the use of gendered names so a name that has a clear gender, uh, like Matthew or Vicky, you get a sense of like those are, the gender is uh, baked into those names. They have gendered nouns such as man, woman, daughter, et cetera, that has, when you hear the noun, you, you uh, think of a certain gender. They're gendered pronouns such as he, she, his, her, their. Um, so those either have genders or they're gender, gender neutral. And then we also have found in the um, gender construction des descriptive words or phrases that build gender. Like if you say a person is bearded or you say a person is wearing a dress uh, or carrying a purse, then those descriptive words help you uh, picture the gender of the person. And that the gender construction uh, combined with all the other constructions like age construction, uh, race, ethnicity construction, all of that helps to build a picture in a person's mind of the, of the person that you're um, interacting with. And that's, uh, that's a powerful part of social inclusion that you feel like it's not just a name of a person, not just a voice of a person. You actually have some visual description of the person as well. And that, you know, rhetorical act of creating that gender um, construction and then the gender interpretation, which is what the audience does, that's also part of the interaction. And then you get to decide how important that is to you, you get to decide what you make of it. All of that's um, negotiated within that sharing of information. But what I'd say is uh, our feeling is that to have that information is a basic right that people who are blind or low vision should have information like that because uh, other people involved in these interactions are getting that information. So why shouldn't everybody get that information? Um, 
in terms of other research that we do, that's going to they'll be posted on the website and uh, we'll be keeping you up on. We have a new piece on audio descriptions history. So how did the culture of audio description develop in the United States? What are some of the conventions that developed anecdotally um, compared to say empir empirically tested research, uh, trying to determine like what is a practice that was created by say people who started to do audio description first in the United States versus what is a practice that has been empirically tested with audience members and um, can be determined like, yeah, this really works or this really doesn't work. So we're doing a lot of that type of um, research. We've also been studying values in research in audio description. So what are the values that people bring to audio description? And then what are the values that people share in audio description when they re receive it? And that helps by focusing on values that helps us um, make better audio description. Like what do you value about it? And then let's put the, put that part into the audio description. Um, so I'm hopeful as I'm running out of time here that uh, some of this has intrigued you to check out our website, unidescription.org, unidescription.org. Um, that site is tested every year for accessibility. It should be fully accessible to you through your screen reader. Um, also give our apps a try. They're free on the store, the uh, app stores. So just type in Unidescription in your search uh, bar and you'll be able to pull up that app and listen to say the Pearl Harbor um, descriptions that we just finished. Those are pretty exciting. We're actually working on some more Pearl Harbor ones um, soon. And um, I think I'll stop talking now and give a couple of minutes for questions. Does that sound good? Sounds great, Brett. Thank you. Sure. So while we're waiting for anyone who might have a question to raise her hand, Brett, do you want to, uh, can you verbally just tell us what your email address is? And also you, maybe you can put it in the chat later. Oh too. yes, of course. Sure. Thank you. Um, yeah. I don't see access to the chat on here, but my, oh, okay. e my email is just my name, Brett, B-R-E-T-T -T dot opagard, O-P-P-E-G-A-A-R-D at hawaii.edu, brett.opagard at hawaii.edu. And if you forget that, you can go to unidescription.org, unidescription.org, and my email's uh, all over the place on that site. But I hope your event in, yeah, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Your event in mid-October sounds excited. The Descriptive-thon, did you say it's called? Yeah, we'd love to have people join the Descriptive-thon. So that's a three-day intensive event. Um, several of the folks on the call have have uh, been a part of it. Vicki Kennedy, Sasha, a um, number of Great. other people. And uh, you get a chance to work in small teams with National Park Service staff. You get to co-create new description that's uh, shared with the public right away. So it's a, uh, as soon as you're done with it, it's immediately available to the public. And you get to really make a difference in the world in terms of making uh, public places more accessible. Yeah, thank you. And mm -hmm. by the way, um, my name, Kyle, does not uh, is not gender identity. <laughs> <I always> think, <laughs> yeah, it would be a confusing gender. Definitely not. Yes. Yeah, but <laughs> but then the, yeah, exactly. This is a good point. So sometimes, um, like I just I was on a call uh, earlier this week with a woman named Davy, uh, and same sort of thing. And 
So then the name plus the pronouns plus the descriptors, like in your photo, you have uh, a headband on and flowers and long hair, and you can start to build out a gender identity that way beyond (laughs) the name. But so it's like one, the name's one part, the pronouns are one part, the nouns are one part, the descriptions are one part, and it starts to build an identity. So do we have any questions at this time? Anyone? I am not seeing any hands raised at this time. So I I, I have a a question uh, for you, um, Mr. Opakart. Sure. Yeah, hi. Um, How different, if any, is the description that you're doing uh, compared to the description that um, is being done for, say, things like movies versus and TVs? Mm-hmm. Well, in movies and TVs, uh, as you know, there's usually very small windows to pop in a couple words in between dialogue or music or something important like that. So <clears throat> that type of description is uh, called dynamic description and it happens um, in the quiet spaces between uh, live action. And what we do is static description. So in ours, um, we have much more time and room to really wind out the descriptions. And so they're, they're typically much more detailed, much more evocative, uh, deal with a lot more of the visual elements than can be done in those dynamic situations. Thanks. That uh, explains a lot. Yeah, so like you heard my my description of myself at the start, I probably you would probably not have that detailed of a description on a TV show or in a movie. Um, but in static description, <clears throat> someone can decide. You know, there's a there's a way to navigate through the descriptions and pick. Like this is oh, I really want to hear more about this person's description. So you can choose to listen to it. You can stop at any point when you have enough and then you can um, jump around to other things, whatever you're interested in, as opposed to on a dynamic piece of description, you're pretty much stuck with what you're given at the moment you're given it. So you don't really have any choice in the matter at that point. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Sure. Well, thanks, Brett. I hope to, that you get to see some of us in October and just thanks for all your, your work. Sure. Yeah, Maureen had her hand up. I don't know if she oh, wants I'm to so ask a question. Hi, thank you. I, I did have a question about your visiting um, national parks and making these uh, brochures, you know, accessible. I was also curious if there's been any initiative to support accessibility in other ways in the national parks. Yes, the national parks are really a leader in accessibility. Uh, lots of ways they... Uh, course, do captioning on all their videos. They have tactile maps. They have, um, you know, uh, audio description on all their films, any new film. Um, so there's, there is a, a, a concerted and um, dedicated effort to accessibility. <clears throat> Part of it is, um, you know, there's a, there's an enormous amount of existing media that isn't accessible that when it gets replaced, it gets made accessible. So there's a backlog where a lot of of stuff isn't accessible per se. 
but um, I'd say the National Park Service, uh, from what I've found around the country with all sorts of public places, I'd say they're one of the leaders in this, uh, particularly with new media, anything new that's created. And, um, and, they, and they have an array of, of options. It depend, really depends on the site. So some sites are quite accessible, like Golden Gate, for example, is a national leader. Golden Gate National Recreation Area is a national leader and maybe international leader in accessibility. And then some other sites are a little bit behind the times, but I'd say for the most part, um, you know, the park service is doing a good job and they will uh, certainly at any point, if you call and uh, let them know that you're going to be bringing a group or an individual who would uh, benefit from a uh, guide, they will, you know, bring, bring someone in to do some audio description live if it's not already available. And then where our, where our uh, project fits is, <clears throat> you know, before a person goes to a national park, they can listen to the description, be involved in the decision-making process about what's the group going to do, what do I want to do as an individual, and I want to have that a part of the agenda, you know, as opposed to um, having no idea what's happening or who's going to be there or what's going to ha- what's going to be available beforehand. Uh, so that gives that kind of an orientation before going. And then um, once a person is at the site, um, the audio description is available on the smartphone and they can uh, access that at any point too. So like say, oh, geez, I remember this great Lincoln uh, audio description, Lincoln statue audio description. Um, I'd like to hear that again. And they can jump right to it on the app and listen to it. Thank you so much for that. And in, in sharing that, I've been inspired to look at opportunities for our community to have work learning experiences with the national parks. So thanks for that great idea and encouragement. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, just let me know if you need any help getting uh, the right contact person or something to visit the site. We, we love to support field visits. We'll do everything we can to um, help with those. Thank you. Sure. Ron has a question. Hi. Aloha. Hey. hey aloha, Ron. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just curious. So we are doing this for public parks, national uh, parks? Uh, pub, yeah. I mean, I, I work primarily with public places, but there's mm-hmm. no reason the tools couldn't be used in anywhere. I mean, some people use them individually. I like, think, yeah. It's like describing their apartment or something, you know, they're, because I remember one time I was at, uh, I visited the Universal Studios theme mm-hmm. park mm-hmm. in LA, and we went to this uh, haunted uh, house or building, and people were uh, scared and you know screaming. And then when I went outside, uh, somebody came up in front of me, took my hand, and let me touch his front. Oh, he's a monster. He was inside. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. There. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I should be scared of you back in there, but not out here. <laughs> so that's it. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we're open to working with anybody. I mean, primarily we've worked with public places because, um, I don't know, they just seem more motivated to be accessible. I'm not sure. I can't really like comment on 
what Universal thinks about it, but I would just say definitely public public places have a legal mandate, they have an ethical mandate, they have a moral mandate to make their sites accessible. So I think it's really important to think about um, every person, every citizen has a right to be in a national park and should get an equivalent experience there. So that's the goal. So maybe the ACB could do some lobbying to this uh, private theme parks. <laughs> It would be Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, they work with Disney. So, I, you know, maybe mm -hmm. I'm sure they probably yeah have some connection with Universal. I'm not sure, but definitely yeah. some lobbying. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's not uh, necessarily uh, a company trying to be exclusive or keep people out, but they just don't know about it. You know, they don't know about audio right. description. They don't understand how important it is. They don't, they don't realize that audio description, you know, it's not just for one part of their park. It's for every part, every single visual part should be mm -hmm. accessible. And so that is a whole different mindset that, you know, not a lot of companies have taken on yet, but I think it's changing. I mean, definitely Disney is involved in that. I know, I know from, uh, having been at different conferences with their representatives. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Brett. Sure. Terry, you had a question? Well, I know we have um, Ialani Palace here. So do they already have an audio description or is that a possibility to work with them for audio description? Because, you know, we only have the only palace here. In yeah. Um, I've talked, uh, I'm trying to remember if I've, I've talked to Bishop Museum. Uh, they were very interested, but didn't, um, did, uh, didn't uh, join the Descriptathon. I'm going to check back with them. But Iolani Palace, I've, I don't know if I've talked to, but I would be happy to work with them. They're a public place. And yeah, it definitely should be audio script. If you know somebody there and just want to give them my name and email, maybe we can get them in the next Descriptathon. Well, thank you, Brett. And thank you, Terry. Sure. So everyone's got Brett's um, email address and we hope to be in touch in October. We really right. appreciate your presence with us today. Thank you very much. Oh, thank um, you. I just want to, yeah, thank you. I want to mention we have one more guest speaker coming up before we take a break at 10 o'clock. So I'd like to bring up our chair of the convention, Roberta Tomas. Thomas, Hi, sorry. I always call you Tomas. Thomas, <laughs> Thomas. Thomas. Yes. Tomato or tomato? Yeah. Yes, Thomas. <laughs> It's Roberta. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for all the wonderful presentations. Today, I'd like to invite to the, to the microphone, since we're not in person, he will be speaking from home in his, in his place where he is currently um, on the phone, not on the phone, on the computer right now. And he actually comes from Turkey and he is a research professor. And I would like to have him do a little bit introduction of himself because he is a uh, person who is visually impaired, he will also be on our panel coming up. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Ondor Islech. Aloha. Good morning, everyone. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yes. yes. Okay, perfect. Um, I'm pleased to be here. And um, I mean, 
it is so pleasure uh, pleasure to be here and meeting you at least virtually and today is actually i learned lots of good things as well because as roberta mentioned i came to to the island uh, in yeah just like two to an two and a half months ago so and taking time to settle down and learning about different uh, options so bef- uh, today i will be talking a little bit about myself and then a little bit regarding my research um, and then yeah i will try to be sure to leave some times so that people could ask questions um, so i was born in very uh, rural part of turkey so for the one who doesn't know where turkey is is actually between europe and asia So maybe you heard the Mesopotamia or the Constantinopolis, Istanbul, Byzantine. So most of them they refer to the current Turkey actually. So we are between uh, Europe and Asia. And um, so I was born uh, with RP, retinitis pigmentosa, um, and gradually I uh, start to lose my eyesight more and more. And now I define myself as a blind. and through my conversation or my talk which often i use the term uh, visual impairment or people with visual impairment as an umbrella term to cover actually both the ones who are blind and uh, low vision so it's uh, my mean is not to create any uh, confrontation or discussion but more it's because of the practical reasons and i apologize for my pronunciation because english is my third language and i haven't been using it maybe in last 5 6 years intensively so if you struggle in understanding or if you need more clarification please do so um so when it comes to my education journey back in turkey because i'm in, uh, in 36 years old so most of i start schools maybe yeah like 30 years ago back in turkey and um and that time uh, and because of the, it was a rural area um so i didn't receive any vision services or specialist services which caused me actually to think as a person with visual impairment i could not do many things I, i mean i ended up not being able to do many things and i considered the reason of that was my ability or not ability or let's say my faulty body but literally as i um, i think pursued in through my career or my education life i met the ecc expanded core curriculum for the ones who are not too much familiar with it the exp- the curriculum which is falls beyond the academic skills or the national curriculum so the national curriculum would have math science and history and other classes and then the expanded core curriculum would have the skills orientation mobility braille assistive technology um and lots of other useful skills which i do think uh, it is a change uh, like it is a very important bit in our lives to navigate barriers as the theme of the convention is uh, the series navigating barriers so for me um i was really impressed because it led me to recognize most of my restrictions caused not from due to my visual impairment or my disability it caused because of not knowing the skills plus the uh, environmental barriers So um I'm for moving from there so I moved from I finished my undergraduate education in Turkey after undergraduate uh, degree and then I traveled to state of Ohio 
um, to learn English uh, for a year. And then I traveled back to San Francisco to do my master's degree in teacher of, uh, teacher of students with visual impairments. I had a short journey in Colorado to do my PhD in visual impairment as well. But then I think I was a little bit more, uh, I wanted to explore different regions, different places. And I traveled back to the UK to do my PhD in visual impairment, uh, educational uh, people with visual impairment. And um, since 2017, so roughly five years, I've been working as a professor at one of the universities in Turkey. And we are the second program uh, in its kind in Turkey to prepare teachers of the uh, students with visual impairment. So we didn't have our first cohort to graduate yet. So we are very new. I mean, it is because in Turkey, we offer that education as an undergrad degree for four years. Before I talk to a little bit more about my research, I want to give like a brief uh, information about uh, education of people with visual impairment in Turkey. So in, um, up to 2012, when you think about it, it's not too long time ago, the compulsory education was only five years back in Turkey. So my father, for example, he attended only to the primary school or elementary school for five years, and then he's done. And it was the same for me. If I didn't want to go to the school, I didn't have to after the uh, age of 10, roughly, or fifth grade. And then we had the change to be uh, the compulsory school to be to the, up to the eighth grade, so which is covering the middle school as well. And then, um, yeah, in 2012, as I mentioned earlier, so the compulsory school extended to be 12 years, so uh, up to 12th grade. So everyone starts to go to school at the age of five and a half or six. But if a child has a visual impairment or any other disability, they must start school at the age of three. And then they need to attend the school until end of the 12th grade. So this shows actually still Turkey is progressing in terms of the education of, for general all and also for the uh, people with visual impairment. And uh, one of the main reasons of this, Turkey becoming trying to become a full member of the European Union. And this, I think, kind of encourage or um, kind of force the country to transmit some of their um, services. Um, so... Um, back to my research, because of, as I said, uh, I could recognize as a person with vision impairment who never received any uh, vision specialist services. So I really struggled a lot through my education life and everyday life. So I was wondering if the case was similar to the other people with vision impairment back in, in Turkey. So I interviewed teachers uh, of uh, teachers who serve people with vision impairment. Uh, individuals who have themselves has a vision impairment and their parents. And one of the main outcome came uh, to or catch the eye is unfortunately the expanded core curriculum starting from like braille to um, orientation mobility, independent living skills, assistive technology. Those, they are very, they are taught very little at the prime, uh, like at the schools for the blind and they never taught at the mainstream schools because of the similar reasons. There is lack of specialists and um, lack of knowledge and of course, a little bit ignorance because Turkey has a 85 million population. And as I mentioned earlier, we have, we, so far we had only one teacher preparation program for students with visual impairments. 
So simply students with vision impairments, including the one who attended schools for the blind, they were served only uh, by uh, mainstream teachers, so which, who has no expertise in special education or uh, educating blind and visually impaired students. Um, one of the main outcome um, was from my study, uh, all participants who are blind and visually impaired stressed the value of the expanded curriculum. Especially I wanted, I interviewed individuals who were out of the education system rather than the young uh, individuals. Because when I was younger, probably if people, if I was offered to do O&M skills or independent living or assistive technology, I might uh, not be aware of the value of the skills. But these participants who took part in my study, they were all um, out of the compulsory education. They, are, they were attending schools or trying to find employment or some of them were already employed. And they were actually more aware of the value of the ECC and how this influenced their life because not having the necessary skills. Some of them, even though they were employed, they could not travel from home to school. So some, they needed someone to all every day pick them up in the morning and in the evening. Some others, they refer to loss of psychological challenges and isolation because they could not go from their place uh, and come back and they didn't want to make the other people to deal with their transportations and also lots of like other uh, negative consequences. So as I mentioned, to save the time and to be a little bit, not to make this the convention to run behind the schedule. So I would like to uh, kind of the overall message to keep it short, the overall message of the study. I think for the ones, the folks who are younger at the school age at the moment, I think we need to be aware of that. We are not gonna be living with our family until end of our life. And we don't want to probably after a certain age, you will have a, maybe friends and dates and other, uh, you know, like a motivation to travel independently. And those skills, I think we need to kind of be aware how they are important and try to master ourselves in those skills. And same for the parents. I think now we want to do often things for our kids if they are visually impaired or not. But we need to consider that uh, the future as well. We need to prepare them. We should give them the opportunities to practice those skills and kind of prepare them for a transition, not only like from middle school to high school or high school to university, but it's also to their future life when they want to be setting up like in, in employment or their own families or do other things. And for the educators, I think one of the main outcome uh, from my fundings was, um, I think the educators often, yes, they are aware of the skills. I mean, not all of them, but some of them, but also they have some restrictions in teaching the expanded curriculum as much as they wanted. One of the main reasons of that was like the pressure of the national curriculum because they have to make sure the students learn some of the academic skills, braille, like to get the math and other things. 
But also, I think there is an uh, important bit that these skills could be combined or, let's say, could be taught in the wise academic skills or with different opportunities, such as like weekends or summer camps or the, uh, school activities after the school. So um, I think roughly that's like the very brief of myself. Oh, one more thing. Um, I'm more than happy if someone, anyone who wants to be connecting for any sort of reason. So, um, because as I mentioned, I traveled a lot. I will be talking more about it at the panel, but I have been in like five continents in total around 60 countries so far. And most of them I've done it by myself. So I like uh, the challenging myself in terms of that. And that was my, became my, became my biggest hobby. And also I will, the, uh, the, the reason I am here in Hawaii, uh, I will be here until end of September, roughly. And I am here on a scholarship, which is called Fulbright Scholarship. Maybe some of you might already hear. It is about uh, um, kind of conducting my own research. And I'm very interested in the uh, experiences of people who are blind and visually impaired in, and live on the island. So, uh, or when any of the sorry, the state of Hawaii. So if you are interested in talking about your expanded curriculum or independent living skills or preparedness to be, in the, um, to be independent, I am more than happy to be connecting with you or just for any social gatherings as well. So my research, I will be more contacting the teachers, especially and individuals who have a visual impairment. And I think it should be taking place or I should be able to start to collect the data in big, um, around beginning or middle of April, because now I'm going through the um, ethical review board, which is like to make sure I am kind of the confidentiality, uh, securing the confidentiality and other measurements in the research. Thank you so much for listening and uh, mahalo for having me here. Thank you, Dr. Islech. Did I say your name correctly? Did I pronounce it correct? Uh, yeah, quite good. Yes. Do you have an email? Maybe you can share if anybody would like to contact you. Yes, sure. I have okay. a one easy email address for now. Great. Uh, to easy to remember at least. So it is I spelled O as in orange, N as in Nancy, Nancy, D as in dog, E as in elephant, R as in red. So on that, which is just my first name, at yes. hawaii.edu. Oh, perfect. O-N-D-E-R at hawaii.edu. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're Thank welcome. You. Okay, so now's the time. We're going to take a quick break, as promised. I would like to call Antonio up to see if he, the master of door prizes, if you'd like to give out some door prizes. So we'll take sure. a 10-minute break at this time. It is now 10.08. We'll, we'll convene at 10.18. But if you want to stick around, because you might win some prizes... Antonio, do you have anything to give away? Sure. Yeah, I can. I can do a couple here. All right. <clears throat> Let's see. What do we have? Um, we've got our fifth uh, winner of the day, and they're going to be winning a, a very generous uh, thirty-dollar Starbucks gift card. Uh, what is that? Like one coffee? Ha 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 ha. <laughs> um, so that is uh, from Laura Tadigawa. Um, and that is going to be, uh, uh, Mr. Imamura, I 
I think it's Gavin. Um, I, there's a typo here. It, it, it's G uh, G A V I B, but I believe that's probably a Gavin uh, Imamura. Uh, like I said, a very nice uh, thirty dollars Starbucks gift card. Congratulations! Oh, nice. Yeah, he's a New Vision student, so it is G A V A N and then Imamura. You're right. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, um, what do you what do you think? Do you want to do one more? What? Are oh we... yeah, Antonio. We yeah. we have time. We have time. Okay, okay. Yeah. You just stop me then. Okay. Uh, all right. So we've got uh, a $20 Walmart card. All right. Nice. Um, and that was uh, from, let's see, that is uh, Renette uh, and Nakaima. Nakaima. Okay. So Renette, thank you so much for that generous uh, gift. And you are going to be making... Uh, Clifford Miyashiro, very happy. Oh my so, goodness! Hey, wow, Clifford, hey, another new student. Awesome! Yes. Wow, wonderful, we've wonderful. Two out of two. Yeah, Maybe Antonio, let's do one more since we have right. a few more minutes. Yeah. All right. So that was uh, fifty dollars during this break, and we're going to add uh, twenty-five more dollars to that. This time, this is an Amazon gift card. Very nice. And that is a generous donation from, oh, Sharon Ige. Thanks so much, Sharon. And uh, Sharon, you are going to be making, uh, let's see, Jamie Young. Very happy. So Jamie <laughs> Young. Y-O-N-G. That's wonderful. That's three uh, out of three for our whole oh, Vision students. Great. So you've got an <laughs> Amazon right. gift card. All right. Congratulations. 